1: Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you. Clock hour number two underway. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday, the 22nd morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord. 2019. Thanks again to Representative Matt Shea. He's going to have a wonderful event, uh, in Independence tonight. And, uh, let's bring Peter Kirstenau back to the program now. Peter Kirstenau is, of course, our regular Tuesday guest. He is a Cleveland attorney. He's a best-selling author. He's a highly sought-after speaker. He is the host of the Kirstenau Report on AM 1420, The Answer, and he is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Peter Kirstenau, good morning, my friend. How are you?
2: I'm doing great, Bob. 118 days till spring training, 157 games uh, days before the first game uh, of the Tribe. And, you know, i got to tell you, I don't know if you uh, saw any of this over the weekend, but because I wrenched my back, I was watching a fair amount of college football. I have to say, uh, I'm not sure I've seen a better team than the Buckeyes. I watched a little bit of Alabama, of Clemson. Um, my one concern is that Wisconsin got beat, and so they're going to be motivated I still think we beat them, but the fact that they got beat, you know, diminishes our strength of schedule ranking. But nonetheless, they're looking pretty good.
1: They do. I'll tell you what, I think it's a three-team race right now for the best team in America. I think it's Ohio State and it's Alabama and it's LSU led by former Buckeye Joe
2: Burrow. Who may
1: be yeah Burl's looking trophy.
2: phenomenal isn 't he yeah
1: yeah, he, I think he's the front runner. I think he 's past uh, Tua and uh, Jalen Hurts uh, is maybe the front runner for the Heisman, so uh, that'll be very... great now, two of those teams are in the SEC. The question is is will both of them make a playoff or just the champion because uh, we 've seen that happen before, and that could impact of course, uh, what Ohio State has to deal with if and when they win the big Ten championship and make it to the college playoff. Alright, Peter, um, let's talk about, since we're talking about one-on-one matchups or prospective one-on-one matchups, you, uh, had some thoughts on Russian assets. And, uh, it is a, it is an amazing thing, is it not, Pete? And it's kind of interesting, of course, with your Russian background. Uh, but, um, it wasn't just the trump campaign colluding with russia it is now uh jill stein is a russian asset it is tulsi gabbard is a russian asset why are the democrats so obsessed with linking everything that they don't like or every opponent even on their own side in this case talking about tulsi gabbard um uh you know hillary clinton going after her as a russian asset why is all things bad connected in some way shape or form to russia
2: yeah, because I think, Bob, it's the only thing they have got. And we talk about Russian background. For those of us who've been involved in and been immersed in Sovietology, Russia and everything, one of the reasons why when it was initially claimed that somehow Trump was a Russian asset three years ago, we dismissed it out of hand because it was the first time in our lifetimes that we saw Democrats concerned about the Soviet Union or Russia. It just was completely absurd. Uh, and then we started to find out more facts and it became even more and more absurd. But the, 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 insanity of this is for those who are holding on to some thread of hope that somehow there would be a connection between Trump and Russia, this completely dashes that because it truly does depict Hillary Clinton and all of her acolytes as being almost nearly insane in, in saying this. If she's going to say that Uh, If everyone's a a Russian asset, no one's a Russian asset. If she's claiming that Jill Stein, everybody she looks at is a Russian asset, but it reminds people of the fact that if anyone was a Russian asset, and I'm not claiming Hillary Clinton was, but she clearly was doing things favorable to Russia. The evidence is right there, despite the fact that the media refuses to report about it. The fact that she paid for... The Russian dossier, which everyone acknowledges now, had Russian disinformation in it. But more importantly, we maybe this is going to come up in a Durham report or IG, some report you would hope, but still pending out there are the unresolved questions related to uranium one. And and this is not a conspiracy theory. Hillary Clinton was the sign off on sending over twenty percent of the United States uranium stores to or to, under the control of Russia. And in return, lo and behold, the Clinton Foundation got $145 million. Extraordinary. Talk about quid pro quo. I mean, But no, nobody even thinks about that, nobody, at least in terms of the major media. Uh, this, it's, it's because our media, our, our
1: media has lost all... <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting over something, Pete. Our media has lost all um, journalistic um, inquiry. They don't even inquire anymore. They're not even curious. Right. Journalistic curiosity that used to drive investigations into things like this does not exist anymore unless, of course, it's finding a way to take down an opponent, which you know, and as you always say, you repeat yourself when you talk about the Democrats in the media, they have an opponent, and that is the orange man bad.
2: That's it. That, that's, that's precisely right, and what's, what's fascinating about this is, if you, you know, I know you've seen it because you, you're a junkie on these things, but the replays of Hillary's defenders on MSNBC and CNN where they're making out, they're trying to defend her with respect to these allegations of Tulsi Gabbard saying, for example, well, Gabbard didn't deny it extraordinary. This is the essence of what used to be called McCarthyism. Now, we can go into a whole long historical discourse about McCarthyism, how it's been perverted and twisted, but the bottom line here is, throughout our lifetimes, we've been instructed by our betters that McCarthyism was this horrible era in which, you know, the the, this one a senator from minnesota was making these unfounded allegations about russian influence about soviet influence and some of the things that he would say and some of his acolytes would say is when no one would deny it when he was when someone was accused of it in a, a kind of when did you stop beating your wife fashion the fact that the person didn't submit a full-throated uh denial of this absurdity was in and of itself evidence that the person was a Russian asset. This is the kind of lunacy we've descended into, and the media stands casually by as if, oh, yeah, this is a possibility. Tulsi Gabbard, clearly, she could be a Russian asset. Uh, you know, probably Baker Mayfield is a Russian asset. <laughs> this, this is a nut- we, we, are, we are in loony times right now. In my lifetime, I have not seen an era in which our so-called intelligentsia, the upper classes of the country, have gone off the deep end like we have right now.
1: Well, Baker Mayfield is going to compete against and attack a group of Patriots on Sunday, so that must make him a Russian asset. <laughs> I think you could do that. All right, I, sorry, <laughs> I just had to follow through that. Pete, I, I want to talk about uh, Tulsi Gabbard for a moment. I want to talk more specifically about all of the candidates and and of whom you are most concerned, or I, I don't know if I'm going to say threatened by in terms of an election. If the president survives this ridiculous impeachment scandal, this 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 phony kangaroo court inquiry, um, who you are most concerned with but i want to say this about tulsi gabbard i read this before uh in the first hour of the program uh you probably have not seen it because you don't do twitter uh but larry elder put this nice little uh uh, compilation of tulsi gabbard's moderacy on display a lot of people feel like she's the one that we could uh, most accept among the democrats um she supports medicare for all she supports reparations for slavery to all african americans she supports free college and debt forgiveness. She supports an end to the electoral college. She thinks a popular vote should decide the presidency. She is for a federal $15 minimum wage. She is against fracking and wants 100% energy from renewables by the year 2035. She has an F rating with the NRA. She has a 100% approval rating from Planned Parenthood. She is against a border wall, She supports universal basic income if a person cannot provide for himself. And she supported and endorsed Bernie Sanders for president in 2016. How is she in any way, shape, or form any more moderate than socialist
2: Bernie himself? Yeah, right. And, you know, the fact of the matter is she's your standard-issue Democrat running right now, with the exception of maybe one or two policy positions. What you just outlined there, Bob, is what almost every single Democratic candidate for the presidential nomination believes in, what they support. Uh, And I I can't recall, maybe I missed it, but she's also in favor of open borders, too. Uh, This is... Trump has said this a number of times, but it pairs repeating because it's true. This is insanity that's the only apt description for this. You hate to use hyperbole, but they're the ones who've adopted these positions, and that is an accurate description. so it's my belief and probably the belief of you and most of your listeners, that if the economy remains somewhat similar to what it is right now, it doesn't have to be you know humming and firing in all cylinders like it is right now, but if it's decent, Trump wins and wins by an appreciable margin. You probably saw the Moody's analytics uh, assessment that showed that Trump will probably win by an even larger portion of the electoral vote than he did last time and will win the popular vote. Uh, look, we haven't had an economy like this in my lifetime. Um, and there are discrete groups that are typically Democratic constituencies that are faring the best you had, for example, back um, a while back, you had Selena Zito before the two, 19, I'm sorry, the, the 2016 election. She was the only journalist out there waving her arms saying, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." All you folks who are predicting a Clinton landslide haven't seen what I've seen in Western Pennsylvania um and eastern Ohio in the rust belt among blue collar voters that were traditional Democrats. These folks are defecting. They are going to Trump. And nobody was paying any attention. Up until eight o'clock on election night everyone was saying Clinton landslide. And then sure enough, in the blue states, the blue wall states, all of those blue collar voters, or not all of them, but a significant percentage were going to Trump end of story. I think we're going to see something similar to that. I think the Democrats have so alienated so many of their traditional blue-collar voters, and also as I've said in the past and continue to say, I think they're beginning to alienate many black voters. Now, the fact of the matter is the black Pete, vote is going to substantially go toward Democrats, but that's going to I'm, be a problem. I'm glad
1: you mentioned that, because I'm going to jump in here and interrupt you, because we don't have past 10.30 today as I have Bill O'Reilly coming on. We need to get this break in. I want to ask you, you wrote for NRO, National Review, Elizabeth Warren, the new frontrunner for the Democrats, and the black vote. I want to talk to you about that after this quick timeout on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1024, I count six good minutes left. With our man, Peter Kirstenow, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, also a uh, contributor to NRO, National Review Online. And Pete, you just wrote a piece about Elizabeth Warren a few days ago, uh, and her, uh, let's just say potentially troubling relationship with African American voters. Uh, you talk about her performance at the Democratic debate. She accused President Trump of environmental racism, economic racism, criminal justice racism, healthcare racism, clearly pandering saying, you gotta vote for me or one of us because we have black Americans backs. Um, tell us more, Pete.
2: Yeah, well, as I've stated in the past, Bob, on your show, that is, and this is not rocket science, unless the Democratic candidate for president gets between 85 to 95% of the black vote, and it should be at the upper end of that scale, and... And this is crucial, not simply a large percentage, but a robust turnout they can 't win historically and i 've gone through the if you go through some of my other NRO pieces, I go through the data on this historically they it 's an impossibility unless there is a robust turnout and a significant percentage of that turnout votes for the Democratic candidate that game over at that point. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren has more of a challenge than many candidates in the recent past. Uh, Clinton had a little bit more support, of course Barack Obama does, but uh, right now her support and it's early but the polling suggests that she has at best tepid support among blacks uh, uh, Biden of course gets the most support he's better known he was the vice president to the first black president etc 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 but what I see in the piece is it goes a little bit further than that there are a couple things number one is if you look at her policy prescriptions many of them are the same as the other Democratic candidates but she is pretty doctrinaire Those, most of those policy prescriptions unless you've got some type of a foothold in the black community and some kind of trust to begin with, are things that many blacks don't necessarily sign on to. Open borders, for example, which increases competition in the workforce, free health care for illegals, abolishing private health insurance, those kinds of things at best have marginal appeal to black voters. But it goes further than that. You know, the fact that it appears she may have gained the affirmative action spoil system to get an advantage, that kind of stuff gets people wondering what the heck is going on here, and she comes across as a phony, somewhat inauthentic. Right now, in some of the polling on the primary states, we're looking at she gets only 4% support in South Carolina versus Biden's 60%. Now, overall, she gets about a 19% support, but still, it appears as if her support right now, at least, among blacks is tepid. Um, And even if, and I believe because she's going to be the Democrat, if she is the Democratic candidate, the Democratic candidate is going to get probably 85 to 90% of the black vote, but she's got to motivate people there's got to be significant enthusiasm because Hillary Clinton remember Hillary Clinton got a significant percentage of the black vote 89 percent of the black vote yet she still lost because four million fewer black voters turned out as opposed to 2012 with Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton's got better name recognition in the black community than Elizabeth Warren does Elizabeth Warren hasn't been around as long didn't have high of profile and, of course, Elizabeth Warren wasn't married to the first black president, as Hillary Clinton was. But um, she's got some, some headwinds there, and it's compounded by the fact that Trump's support is actually pretty astonishing. After being called every form of racist for the last three years, Yeah, uh, Trump's support right now ranges anywhere from up to 34%. of His approval rating among blacks is 34%. Now, he got 8% of the black vote in 2016, which is about average for a Republican candidate, 8%. If he can goose that up just a couple percentage points, game over. Um, it's, it's that simple. Those types of metrics and, you know, Trump's analytics. Pete, Pete I only have two minutes
1: left, be, so let me, let me, can, I, can I follow up on this with Biden? Because I know your piece on NRO was about uh, Warren, but sure. you, you, mentioned, you mentioned she has headwinds that, that a guy like Biden does, and he continues to enjoy a lot of support, in large part because he was the vice president to the first black president. But I thought that there was more of an awakening in black america among black american voters that the first black president didn't do anything for them record numbers of people on on uh... um, food stamps uh, under uh, Barack Obama, uh, record high unemployment for African-Americans. I mean, uh, uh, all of the metrics, uh, uh, household income for black Americans. Uh, the, the first black president didn't do a darn thing for black Americans. They are doing so much better under Donald Trump. Why would they give Biden their support when, when he's part of that team that was supposed to look out for black America and ended up failing it?
2: Yeah, historical jujitsu and um, electoral inertia, Bob. Two things that it would take us a little bit more time to explain right now. But I think historical inertia is the big reason blacks have traditionally voted for the Democratic candidates. So it's a, really a matter of just kind of going to the polls and pulling the lever. you got to get used to doing that. But I think what's one of the untold stories right now, you don't see it a whole lot, but I get a lot of reports from diverse areas that Trump's support among blacks is not only Based on polling data is improving, but trump and this is not reported it 's not being covered by our media big surprise right Trump has been going out and and trying to get the black vote he has had a number of rallies he 's invited um, a number of uh, black organizations into the White House and had meetings, uh, and not just meetings among three or four people. He's had hundreds of people there, but it's not being covered. The Trump campaign is one of the smartest around. It's broken the mold, and some of their campaign folks, they think outside the box. And I think they recognize what so few Republican mm. candidates in the past appreciated, and that is all you have to do. It Truly, This is a, the, the metrics show this. You tweak a couple of percentages in the black points in the black vote, Democrats are dead in over. the water. Democrats know that, and that's why every election cycle you hear racism, 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 racism. And they got it, no policy prescriptions. Trump's, right now, this is the best economy for blacks, period, in history. Period. And,
1: and it's also the reason you hear continually impeachment, 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 because they're afraid right. that exactly what you predicted is going to happen, and they will not be able to beat him. Peter Kirsten out, uh, United States Commission on Civil Rights, Cleveland attorney, and one of our best friends. Pete, thanks so much. Great stuff today. Thank you, Bob. You got it. Uh, coming up next, after the news, Bill O'Reilly, one of the kings of media for an entire career, knows Donald Trump is about as well as about anybody in the media, and he wrote a book about it, The United States of Trump, How the President Really Sees America. He'll join us next here on 1420 The Answer. now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer. I count 24 minutes of outstanding awesomeness left for you. Thanks for being with us. We'll turn it over to Mike Gallagher's brand of awesome, then Dennis Prager, Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Uh, right here on AM fourteen twenty, the answer. But now I want to give you an even bigger name, probably than all of those, uh, because he uh, held the uh, sat in the throne, if you will, of cable news for decades. Uh, one of the most popular, probably still has record ratings, uh, I would imagine, in the cable news industry. Even though he's been off the air for a couple of years at Fox News, of course, I speak of Bill O'Reilly joining us once again here on AM fourteen twenty, the answer, the author of yet another bestseller. This one is called "The United States of Trump: How the President Really." Sees America. Bill O'Reilly, good to have you back on the air here in Cleveland. How are you, sir?
3: Good. Thanks for having me in, Bob. I appreciate it. It's
1: a pleasure to chat with you again. I enjoyed it last time. I think this one will be even better. You know, it's interesting. Um, I've had a chance to read your book. Uh, I'm not finished with it. I'm still plowing through it. But uh, since the last time we spoke, and um, What's very interesting that people would not think is that you are not all pro-Trump here. You're not pro-Trump nor anti-Trump. One would think because, you know, you have a reputation of being more right of center, not extremist, but right of center. President Trump is clearly uh, conservative and has become one in his political career. But yet you're not really pro-Trump nor anti-Trump. How do you play that middle ground?
3: Well, it's basically... uh the book is a uh, report. It's it's a history of Donald Trump. It's not um, that he's the greatest guy or that he's the devil. It's just the truth about him. And since there isn't anything else on it on the market like it, you know, I tell everybody it doesn't really matter whether you like or dislike President Trump. You should know the truth about the leader of America because he, what he does and influences you and your family. And and nobody knows who the man really is, and why he does what he does. So that's what I set out to accomplish. I think I've, um, I think um, the book is a very tightly written, well reported um, expose of who Donald Trump is, and it's needed. We're going to vote again for president in twelve months, Bob. You know it's going to be a rock 'em sock 'em campaign.
1: Your knowledge about Donald Trump as a man, um, is, is what, it, what is great, inter, of great interest to me, Bill. You, you knew him for 30 years, as you have talked about, or you have known him for 30 years. When you look at him now as you cover him for your book as a president, do you go back and review or revisit how you viewed and interacted with him when he was a private citizen, when he was a real estate mogul, when he was an author, when he was a celebrity, uh, a television celebrity? Do you, do you see anything differently now that you're viewing him through the lens of a president?
3: Well, the circumstances of his life have changed so drastically that he's not the same man that he was when I was going to Yankee and Nick games with him five or six years ago. He's not the same guy because he's been thrust into a situation where he's fighting for his life constantly. He's under attack every hour on the hour. He's seen his family um, vilified. And so he's changed. And um, I think that this happens to every human being when they go through experiences that are very intense and profound. So now, you know, now give when us I an analyze, example I'll of that.
1: Be, Give me, how has he changed? Because I I think one of the things that people love about him is he seems to never tilt, you know, uh, in in, in the winds of change, you know, politically or otherwise, and he has kind of always stayed true to himself. But you know him well, so give me an example of how he's changed.
3: Well, his behavior hasn't changed. What I I lay out, that he reacts to everything emotionally, is still there. Mm -hmm. But the anger that he has now is way more than he had five years ago. I mean, he five years ago, life to him was, you know, a donut. He was just going from one um, celebratory situation to the next. He's a billionaire. He's uh, in, on The Apprentice. He's running around bloviating, doing whatever he wants, king of the city. And now, you know, he's getting it between the eyes. So the thing that I've seen that mostly is um, the anger and the emotion that he now deals with on a daily basis. And the last chapter in the United States of Trump was taken right after the Mueller report came out, and it's the first time in the 30 years that I've known him that he showed emotion to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I want everybody to read the book and read the last chapter, and you see it. Much different than the cocky guy who announced his campaign. I did the first interview with him when he announced in 2015. It's a much different uh, perspective on life. So, you know, it's not fair. I mean, the guy has been just ripped up by the anti-Trump haters, um, but he has made significant mistakes. There's no doubt about that. And I think it's my job as a reporter to, to put it out and lay it out honestly.
1: Bill O'Reilly continuing to uh, report, honestly, with his no-spin news, which you can watch on your TV now via BillOReilly.com, so make sure you check that out, as well as the book, The United States of Trump, How the President Really Sees America. To your point about his anger or his emotions, maybe a little bit more strong now that he's being hammered on a daily basis, you write in the book... Um, that you will see a clear pattern. If you analyze Mr. Trump, what he says in public, you will see a clear pattern. He's a stream-of-consciousness kind of guy. That is, if a thought pops into his head, he says it. No filter. No concern about the consequences. His verbal approach goes on steroids if Mr. Trump is speaking at a rally where the crowd is approving of what he is saying. I think you can probably add to that he tweets stream of consciousness with no regard for the consequences, especially if he sees, get, you know, he gets the response that he wants approval, retweets, etc. Is that a good thing for a president or is that a bad thing?
3: I understand why he tweets because he has to get his point of view out quickly um, to counter the unbelievable barrage of hatred directed at him. So I understand it. And, and there are two distinct areas. So when he gets up and he never sleeps, it's like a vampire. He, the first thing he does, is he flips on a TV and he's watching the news. And he flips around. And, and he sees and hears things he doesn't like. And so he immediately grabs the uh, device and tweets it out with no filter. Nobody checks it. That's where he gets into the most trouble. At 11 o'clock, comes down to the Oval Office, and then he's got a guy there that he dictates the tweets to, so his thumb isn't in motion. Those tweets are a little bit more under control than the morning resident tweets. So when I was talking to him about it in the book, I said, is there any way that you can run the tweets by someone you trust before they go out so that you don't get yourself in trouble by misquoting a fact or misstating something that you've heard? But he doesn't want to hear it. He just wants to do it. And, and, you know, for a president, that's gotten him into some trouble. But I do understand the overall need for him to respond quickly.
1: I do too, but I'm so glad you asked him that. I wish, I've always wished I could have an audience with the president to say nobody's saying you can't be you. But just like you said, run this by. Even if it's just a spell checker, let somebody on the staff, let Melania, let somebody make sure that you, what you're saying here in this tweet is what you really want to convey to the people, because it will never go away. You know, it's different yeah, than a and, speech. I mean, look,
3: you and I are in the media, and we uh, bloviate and give our opinions and this and that, and we have to do what he does. So when you're on the air, Bob, you're, you're telling the folks what you believe and, and you're uh, having a conversation, me too. I do that on BillOReilly.com. We now have a national radio show that goes out. And I, you and I do the same thing. But when we write something or when we're involved in, in something that's a little less in the moment, the smart play is to write it down, do what you do, then walk away from it for 15 minutes. And then you come back and you read what you have said. And you always make changes. Everybody makes changes. That's called editing. Right. But he doesn't do that because he's not interested in that. He's interested in venting. He wants to vent, and he does.
1: Bill, I want to quote a little bit more from uh, the United States of Trump, how the president really sees America. Having spoken in detail with Donald Trump, here's what he really believes when you strip away his overstatements designed to fire up voters. One, the birther thing was a political tactic to curry favor with anti-Obama voters. Two, illegal immigration bothers President Trump on a number of levels. He is a law and order guy. And three... On the Muslim issue, he is not sympathetic to that religion's culture. He's deeply offended that Muslims, the Muslim world has not risen up en masse against jihad. It's not ethnicity. It's about the soft reaction to terrorism in the Islamic world. Is that really the core of who Trump is, and will it remain yes. his core in his reelection campaign?
3: That is the absolute essence of his political outlook, with one other addition. Mm -hmm. So Donald Trump is a transactional human being, and and there aren't that many of them. Most people react, they're reactive in the sense that they allow things to happen or things happen, and then they take action, not Trump. Trump's a transactional guy. The only other president in our uh, modern times that was like this was Franklin Delano Roosevelt, which nobody understood, but he was. Um, So a transactional person is a person who, uh, everything is a deal everything and he wants to win every deal because of his ego and and that's how he's cut out so that with his political philosophy that the islamic world has a responsibility that it did not seize and therefore I am skeptical of that world um, The uh, immigration laws are harming America because you cannot have anarchy in that area. He believes this stuff, firmly believes it. He's never going to change. All right. But in the other area, it's transactional. He says, I'm going to do this on the economy because it's going to benefit everybody in America. And he's been successful in doing this. And that comes back to me. That'll make me a great president. That's a transaction. So I don't want to get too pinheady about it, but there's a lot more to Donald Trump than most Americans realize. And they're being misled on a daily basis by the hate Trump press, which is about 80, 90% of the national media hates him, hates him, and feels no obligation to tell the truth about him. They want to hurt him, get him out of there. And this book is like an anecdote to that. Because after you um, after you read the book, whether you like Trump or not, it really doesn't matter. You'll be armed with information about him, truth truth about him, which you don't have now.
1: Bill O'Reilly is my guest, uh, the legend of cable news talk. He's still talking. He still has national radio. He still has uh, the no-spin news at BillOReilly.com, and he's still writing books. The United States of Trump, How the President Really Sees America, is the latest bestseller. Bill, one one more quick one, and you can maybe stretch it if you feel the need. You wrote in the book about President Trump, quote, his mind is sharp, but his concentration is limited. He absorbs information quickly, but it is only with topics that interest him that he truly becomes engaged. Um, I want you to take that and, and, and answer this question that I think a lot of people would really like to know from somebody who knows him as well as you do. How smart is Donald Trump?
3: Off the chart. Off the chart, smart. The guy has the ability to recognize opportunities that other people will never see. That's why he's president. I mean, only one other human being on earth could have done what he did, in my opinion, and that's Oprah Winfrey. Um, To do what he did, the most audacious political feat that the country has ever seen, is stunning. And he did it because he recognized and he, he... knew, whether it was intellectual or emotional, you you can apply, whatever. He knew how 63 million people were seeing the country in 2016, and they were fed up. I wrote a column this week, Bob, entitled The Avenger is Back, about President Trump and his rallies. It's on com. It's free. You can go in there and you can read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and The Avenger is what he Played in 2016, he's going to do the same thing in 2020. He's going to do exactly the same, but he's going to harness uh, Russian collusion and impeachment, and with the hope that it'll drive him to reelection. So, a guy like that who can who can formulate that strategy, you have to say he's brilliant. You you have to say that he pulled it off. He took unbelievable chances by, you know, diminishing Jeb Bush and all his Republican competition. Um, Who else would have done that? But he recognized that the people were fed up with these politicians, and they would allow it.
1: Bill O'Reilly, you know Donald Trump as well as anybody can, and you know Washington as well as anybody does. How does this impeachment inquiry end? Well,
3: I don't think it's going to end in anything substantial, because... There's no crime. Now the Democrats are switching into a, quote-unquote, abuse of power. Well, you could say that about any president. You can you can trump up anything, pardon the pun. Abuse of power, what does that mean? All right, so they're not going to be able to prove um, that, that Trump withheld aid to Ukraine unless they gave him dirt on Biden. They're not going to be able to prove it. You can believe it. You can surmise it. You're not going to be able to prove it. And without that kind of smoking gun, uh, you know, a tape or something like that, the Senate's just going to throw it right out the window. McConnell's going to say, all right, fine. And then then they'll just go on. So will that hurt Donald Trump, or will he take it again and say, look, they want to destroy me, they fear me because I'm doing the right thing for the country, so you've got to put me back there so I can finish the job. That's how it's going to play out. And, you know, I don't know which way Americans are going to go, but i do know the democrats aren't putting up anybody strong against him at this point so he's got a good chance to be reelected
1: bill can i uh, assume that should you be wrong on this and they run him from office that you have been taking copious notes for killing the trump presidency is the next in the seat in the assay?
3: unless there's something that emerges we don't know about bob that's an imp- impossibility all right, that will not happen.
1: I hope you are right. And I also hope you will listen and uh, listen to Bill O'Reilly and read The United States of Trump. You pick it up now. I've got it in my hand. I'm plowing through it. And I uh, really appreciate the personal touch and the insight here. How the President really sees America from author Bill O'Reilly. Bill, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Always a pleasure I hope you can do Call it again. me when you need me. We'll do so. Thank you, sir. All right, 10.52, we'll get a quick timeout here and come right back and wrap this one up. You get a call in if you would like. and going to remind you about Heartbeat International as well on AM 1420, The Answer. Tell you what, uh, Bill O'Reilly can still tell it like nobody else tells it. I, I, I think that's, that's pretty fair to say and pretty easy to see. He had a fall, obviously, when he uh, was taken off of the air from Fox, but uh, he still has an eye for this stuff and uh, for the news, and his history with Donald Trump is as, uh, is as good as anybody's. really a phenomenal read, and uh, I'm enjoying it, and you should, too. Hey, uh, I also want to remind you, because I was off the air yesterday being sick, I uh, did not get a chance to tell you what I want to tell you now. Save babies' lives, please. Help me save babies' lives. This website. That is linked to our website, which is whkradio.com. There's a big banner ad at the top of the page called Option Line, powered by Heartbeat International, which we've been telling you about for the entire month of October and will continue to. Uh, we are partnering with Heartbeat International to save babies' lives. Option Line is the place where women go if they find themselves in a condition of unplanned or unexpected or unwanted pregnancy, and they want to know what their options are. Maybe they don't want to take the life of their baby, but they feel like they have no choice. There are choices. There are options, and that's what Option Line is about. We are endeavoring to keep Option Line open and funded so that women can talk to somebody, a counselor on the other end, who will refer them to one of the more than 2,700 pregnancy centers, pro-life pregnancy resource centers in the United States. There are over 2,700 worldwide, over 1,500 of them here in the United States. This is a life-saving mission. Because when women call the option line and they go to the pregnancy resource centers that are not steering them down to the room to have an abortion because it's profitable for them, but giving them options and ways to save their babies' lives, um, it is an unbelievable thing. And they cannot thank uh, Heartbeat International enough. There are so many stories that I could tell you, and we have told you. But for now, all I can tell you is to log on to whkradio.com, click on the app option line banner, And Or you can also go to saveababynow.com and quite literally save babies' lives with a donation. It costs about $75 for the call center to take calls for one hour. So what we're asking is for everybody within the sound of my voice, donate $75. It's not much. When you think about everything else that you spend per month or per week or per year, $75 to save a baby's life. That's exactly what it is. And, oh, by the way, it's also tax deductible. So when you donate that $75, it will help you come April when it's time to pay your taxes. If you can donate it, donate $150 and keep the phone lines open for two hours. It costs $450 for four hours and $900 for a half day, $1,800 for a full day of calls to be operated and staffed by Heartbeat International's option line. I have had people... We have had people listening to this show who have donated the full $1,800 amount. We have had other people make $450 uh, donations, a few $150 donations, but the vast majority are $75 donations, and that is fine. If everyone listening can click on that banner ad, or call, if you don't want to click on something, maybe you're driving, call 800-999-7408, donate seventy five dollars To help keep those lines open, remember something, please, if you think of nothing else. The federal government doesn't provide grants and funding to life-saving organizations. They only provide funding to life-taking organizations. In other words, the federal government funds Planned Parenthood. We have to fund Heartbeat International. We have to keep those lines open and keep those babies' lives saved. Go to whkradio.com. Click on the banner ad at the top. Donate your $75 today. It will make you feel amazing to know that you saved a baby's life. whkradio.com, the option line banner. That's it. It's all the time that we have today. Thanks to my three great guests, and uh, I appreciate you being, being here to listen. We'll see you tomorrow morning on AM 1420, The Answer. Mike Gallagher is next.
2: Enjoy the silence.